just a reminder that uh, next Wednesday evening is Thanksgiving Eve. <laughs> and uh, so for the last several years, we don't have uh, services on Thanksgiving Eve because of people leaving town and so forth and either school is out or it gets out early and and so next Wednesday there won't be services for any ages and so just uh, make note of that. Um, tonight we're going to be beginning chapter 3 of Colossians and I um, looked ahead in my notes and it looks like um, counting tonight uh, we'll have uh, four more sessions of Colossians unless I get really long-winded on the last one because it's really a long lesson uh, it, it, it might be five weeks but uh, so <clears throat> I am going to reach my goal and we are going to be done with uh, our study of Colossians by the end of the year so praise everybody says praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And some of them say praise the Lord <laughs> you know but uh, we are, we are getting there. But tonight we're going to begin uh, by looking at um, Colossians, the third chapter. And, um, you know, each one of these teachings, and again, you know, let's, let's remember that when Paul wrote this book, he didn't, he didn't write it in chapter and verse, and so um, everything ties together. And so it's, it's really one teaching. Um, but as we begin this third chapter, the thing that we um, see Paul doing is he's really exhorting the church, the Colossians, and again the Galatians, because it was given to both of them, reference to both of them, and to us, um, that we're to keep our minds on things above. And so the, the things that Paul talked with us about in the first and second chapter um, now he goes into this third chapter and he says that the way that we're going to see the manifestations of these things are as we keep our minds on things above and really what he's saying is that we, we need to keep our mind on the Word. We need to meditate in the Word. And as it says in several places in the Scriptures that we need to meditate in the Word day and night. And the reason for that is, you know, that's where we gain power authority over the flesh. It's through the Word. Um, we've all tried the rules and the regulations things. You know, we've tried to live our life abiding by a certain degree of rules that have been laid down and so forth. But the thing that we, we, we all know is we weren't able to do it. But Paul, what he's doing here, and this is why he, in his teachings, he comes against legalism. He comes against trying to get your life straightened out by abiding by rules and regulations because he basically tells us it's an impossibility. But the thing that I love about Paul is he doesn't leave, leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us in limbo. He, he tells us what we can't do, but then he gives us the answer as to how we can accomplish it. And that's what he's going to be doing here in the third chapter. He tells us how we're going to accomplish it. And it's going to be not by just denying the flesh, but it's going to be by uh, meditating the Word. And as we get the Word on the inside of us, it, 
it begins to form a picture. It, it forms an image. We begin to see who we are. And then what we, we do is we begin to live that out. And that's really what living the Christian life is. It's, it's living out the image that we have on the inside of us that's been produced through the Word of God. And so that's why it all evolves around the Word of God. That's why we've got to have the Word of God in conjunction with the Holy Spirit because He's the one that ultimately empowers us to carry it out. You know, but, but to think that we're going to live any resemblance of a victorious life, victory, a victorious life is victory over the flesh. If we're going to live any kind of a victorious life in that sense, and to think that we're not going to be doing, uh, we don't need the Word of God, um, we're deceiving ourselves. Now when we get to the end of the chapter, that's about three lessons from now, um, I, th I just think it's so interesting that when he begins to talk about the victory that we, we have because of Christ Jesus, he talks about relationships between husbands and wife, between children and parents, between employer and employee. I mean, he, he, what he's telling us is this is how we're going to live the victorious life. And so I think sometimes as Christians, we look at everything as, as way out there someplace, and, and we really don't even, we, we don't think that it applies to our everyday life. But, but my persuasion is, what I'm persuaded of, is if, if I can't take it, and if I can't apply it to my everyday life, it's of no value to me. I can gain a whole lot of knowledge. I can gain a whole lot of information. You know, I, I, I love end times. We're going we're gonna to be talking about that a little bit in this portion because he talks about the life after, hereafter and so forth. And, you know, I, I, I love end times teachings and so forth. But, how does it really apply to my life today? You know, for me on a Sunday morning to give a 21 lesson series on Revelation and end times, I look at it and I think, but how are we going to take that and apply it to our everyday life so that we can live more victorious tomorrow than I am today? See, that's what the Word of God is really all about. Now, I'm not putting down end-time teaching. I, like I said, I love it. But, but that's not what's going to set us free. It's going to be understanding these basic principles of the Word of God. And so let's, let's get into the lesson tonight, or I won't get done with this before the year's end. You know, and, and so uh, tonight we're, really, chapter 3 is talking about uh, daily demonstration of the Christian life. It's to be a daily demonstration. It isn't something that just happens periodically. And so I believe the first four verses of this chapter is talking about challenges of living the Christian life. Because it is a challenge. There are challenges that we encounter. And, uh, you know, last week in, in chapter 2, we talked about where we are positionally in Christ Jesus. But now... In chapter 3, we're going to begin to talk about where we are experientially. Where are we in our life with God? You know, we've got to know what our position is. But then it's got to come down to where the muddy, the, muddy? <laughs> the rubber meets the road. It's kind of muddy sometimes too, not right now. But, but we've, got to be able to, we've got to be able to walk it out. So let's look at um, 
chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm reading out of the New King James. It says, If then you are raised with Christ, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. So if we're, if we're raised with Christ, he says, seek those things which are above, because that's where Christ is. You know, to, to look at the lowly things of this world, uh, we're not going to experience the victory because that's not where Christ is. He's above. L reading this out of the literal translation again, it says, if or since, ye then being raised, and it's an aorist uh, passive, it means that you were raised. And so you're not going to be raised, you're not about to be raised. If you're born again, you are raised. You're alive in Christ Jesus. You're, uh, you've been raised with Christ. Seek, that, that word seek means to pursue. We're, we're to pursue those things which are above. You know, the, the thing about pursuit, you know, <clears throat> the Bible says that we're to enter into his rest. And, and a lot of times when you, when you begin to share that as believers, we're to enter into rest. People get this idea that, well, we're to, we're to sit back and we don't have to do anything. But, but that word rest there that's talked about in the book of Hebrews, <clears throat> it's, a, it's an active rest. In other words, it's not just sitting back doing anything. It's, it's a rest. It's, it's an assurance, but it's active. And here where it says to seek those things which are above, it's, there's a pursuing of it. You know, I remember when we were first we were first saved. You know, we're, we're still in the denominational churches and so forth, and, and we were so hungry for truth, but we, we weren't getting it in our churches, and, and we had our, our little Bible study, but we were ignorant. You know, we didn't, we didn't know anything. You know, if, if you could, well, we didn't know anything, but we were teaching one another. And so, we would hear of a teacher being in, uh, that's about the same time that the church in, in Oakland got started and the church in Winterset got started. Pastor uh, Kelstrup would, would bring in speakers from Tulsa and uh, Pastor Barry and would bring in speakers from Tulsa. And uh, we, we would pursue, we would get off work and we would drive all the way to these cities and we'd sit through these meetings and we'd drive back in snowstorms and everything else, excited because we got to hear the Word of God. We were pursuing it because we knew that if we were going to experience the abundant, victorious life that this Bible that we have begun to read talked about, we knew we had to have this information. And we knew these teachers had this information, and so we would pursue them. We'd go after them. We need to be pursuers of the things above. There needs to be this burning desire in us that's never, never satisfied. We're content, but we're never satisfied. I think sometimes the problem in the church is we get satisfied and we interpret it as being content. Now you can be content, but not, but not satisfied. In your vocation, you can be content but not be satisfied with, 
where you've gone with your vocation and so you continue to in, in, pursue an advancement. But that doesn't mean that you're not content in your life. And that's the same thing in our Christian life. We can be content, but yet not be, be, be satisfied, not settle for where I'm at. And so we continue to pursue those things which are above. Pursue those things which are above where Christ sitteth or is, is seated at the right hand, on the right side of God. And so we need to pursue those things. You know, we talked about, like I said, we talked about where we are positionally. Now we want to talk about where we're going to be experientially. Um, this word that begins this first verse, the word if. You know, a lot of times when you see the word if, it means it, it, it's, it's a condition. If you do this, this will happen. If you don't, this won't happen. You know, but here the, the if that's being used is, is used in the sense of since. Since you are a Christian. Since you believe. Uh, we can pursue. In, in fact, in the scriptures, there's, there's four, they, they call them class conditions of if. And I think they're in your notes. Um, the first is, if means if and it's true. If you be the Son of God. Well, He is. If and He is. The second class, if, and it means if and it's not. You know, Satan said to Jesus, if you will worship me, if, but it's not true, he's not going to. The third class, if, and maybe it's true, and maybe it's, it's not true. Um, in other words, maybe so, maybe not. And then the, the fourth if is, if, and I wish it were true, but I know it's not going to happen. Well, what we're talking about here is the first class, if, and it's true. Since you're a believer, since uh, you've been raised with Christ. There, there's no if about it. Because he's speaking to believers here. And since he's speaking to believers, he says, since you've been raised with Christ. There ought to be absolutely no doubt in your mind that you've died with Christ and that you've been raised to Christ. And because you've been raised with Christ, you live in newness of life. And then it goes on and says, th um, things which are above. Since you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. And, and again, it, it's positional truth. Since we're already seated with Christ in heavenly places, seek those things which are above. Don't settle for the earthly things. Don't settle for what the world tells us. And, and that's oftentimes what we do is we, we settle for what the world tells us. And he says, but since you're seated in heavenly places, seek those things that are above. You see, this is why it's so important for us to know our position in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of Christians, they don't have any idea where their position is. They have absolutely no confidence that they're really saved. 
the, the, the great, greatest question that they still have in their mind is, am I going to go to heaven when I die? Let me tell you something. If you've received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're already positionally seated with Him in heavenly places. And so you're going to experience that. And so don't doubt it any longer. Why do I doubt that? Because you're listening to the world rather than listening to the Word of God. And that's why he goes on and he, he tells us that w the way we get the victory is through the Word. Changing the way that we think about things. Changing the way that we see things. Seek those things which are above. And the way that we do that is through the renewing of our minds. Romans 12, 2 says that we're to renew our minds by the Word of God. And when we renew our minds, we, we, we change the way that we see things. We, we begin to see ourselves in the position that we're already in. We're not trying to get there. We're already there. But we've got to begin to see ourselves as being in that position. And, and, and what that is, is we see who we really are. We see the true man, the real man, the man that is, that is seated with Christ in heavenly places. We begin to see that, that we have authority. And so we, we're, we're able then to put Satan and all of his tools in their proper place under our feet, beneath us. You know, most of you have probably already heard me say this, but when I was in Egypt a few years ago, we went through the Cairo Museum. And, and while we were going through the Cairo Museum, they had the, old, um, the, the thrones of the pharaohs and so forth that they had gotten out of the, the different pyramids and so forth. And, and so the guy that was showing us around, he says, go, go look at the footstool. And so we went and we examined the footstool and he said, well, what do you see? And he said, well, you know, there's just a bunch of stuff on it. Hieroglyphic. How do you say it? Yeah, very good. <laughs> just checking to see if you could say it. You know, and, and he says, do you know what they represent? And they, we said, no. And they said, on their footstool, they, they, they put the names of all the kingdoms that they've conquered. All the enemies that they've conquered are written on their footstools. And so every time the Pharaoh sits on his throne, his enemy becomes his footstool. I want you to know something. Everything that God directed his writers to write in the scripture, he was not simply trying to fill pages. There was meaning behind it. And when he said that through Christ Jesus, he made the enemy his footstool, they were able to understand exactly what was going on, those that it was written to. We may not understand it fully, but we need to understand that if we're in Christ Jesus right now, guess where your enemy is? He's your footstool. And oftentimes we give him so much authority. We give him so much credit. It's the old Flip Wilson say, saying, the devil made me do it. No. That's giving him too much credit because he can't make us do anything. And do you know why? He's under our feet. Because we've been given authority over him through Jesus Christ. 
And so we have the victory right now. And so there's a contrast between, between Colossians 3.1 and Colossians 2.20 because in, in Colossians 2.20 it talks about if we be dead in Christ. And here's talking about if we be risen with Christ. And so we've died with Christ, now we've been raised with Christ into newness of life. And then we go on into the second verse and it's talking about our mental attitude. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. The literal translation, set your affections. You know, your, your affections are things that you, you think on all the time. You know, Pastor Becky and I have been married almost 50 years. You know, but I, I still have the picture in my mind of the night that I met her. She was wearing this, well, we won't go into it. <coughs> you know, but, but you know, uh, until I saw her again, I still had that, that picture in my mind because I had set my affections upon that. You know, here we talk about, you know, it's set your mind. Well, it's more than just setting your mind. Where, 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 does your, where does your affection lie? Because see, oftentimes our affections have, have been focused on things of the world. If I had a new car, if I had a bigger house, if I, had, if I could go on this vacation, if I could do this, if I, if I had this, if, if, you know, they, if I had, you know, it, 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 your affection is on everything around you. But when we begin to study the Word of God and we begin to look at the Word of God, it, not, it doesn't just simply renew our minds, change the way that we think about things. It changes our affection. How do I, how do I overcome the sin that so easily besets me? Well, why does that sin easily beset you? Because it's, it's got your affection. You know, I've, I've talked about people, talked with people that have had uh, addictions and so forth, whether it be drugs or alcohol, and they say night and day. That's, that's what they focus on. That's what their mind is on. What they're saying is, that's what their affection is focused on. And so, how, how do you get free from that? Because they say, how do, you know, I, 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 can, I can stop drinking, I can stop using, but, but I, I still think about it all the time. It's because that's where your affection lies. And so, why, what's, why is the word so important? It changes what you think on. It changes your affection. Now that's, that's the extreme. But you know what? Every one of us in our lives, we have those areas, those affections that draw our attention. And what, they, what their intent is, to, is to always draw us away from Jesus. Set your affections, your mind on things above and not on, on things of the earth. And so it can be anything here on the earth that will, will take our attention, that'll draw our attention away from Him. What the Word of God does is it gives us a, a God viewpoint. You know, in, in your notes, you, you can read it later for yourself, but it, it talks about Isaiah. You know, that our thoughts are not His thoughts and our ways are not His ways. 
But you know what? Our thoughts can become his thoughts. Our ways can become his ways. But it's as we renew our minds and as we set our affection on things above. I've got to be honest with you. <clears throat> I'm really excited right now. You know, because this whole affection thing, when I was putting this together, I didn't even, I didn't even see that. But, but it, to me, it's just, it's just opened a whole new sphere that I'd, I'd never seen before. And so, uh, so if I look like I'm excited, it's because I'm really excited. <laughs> because it isn't just that it's, it's something that I believe can help me. I, I believe that seeing this, I have another tool that can help other people that are struggling with some form of addiction in their life, that I can, I can share with them. The, the, the motivation behind you is the affection that you feel for that. And, and most of them say, I really don't have any affection for it. Yeah, you do. Because it dominates your thought life. But it can change. It can be renewed. Um, you know, we are a new creation. So in our spirit man, we're perfect. We want to follow after him. And so the battlefield is our mind because our flesh wants to do what it's always done. You know, and it tells us in Proverbs, it says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And what that means is what you focus your mind on, what, what has your attention, that's what's going to dominate and that's what's going to control your life. It's not going to be your spirit man because if it's your spirit man, it's going to be focused on the things of God. And that's what releases our spirit to dominate our life. Because that's really what, that, that's where we have to get. Because whether we like it or not, our flesh, the majority of the time, is still in control. Our flesh, the majority of the time, is still dictating to us what we're going to do. Now, <clears throat> the old teaching was that on the inside of us, we have two men that are battling with one another. One is the new man who is born again and one is the old man. But you know that, that, that that's an impossibility. Because you can only live one life at a time. And so what we have is we have the old man going back to Colossians 2.22 which was crucified in Christ Jesus. And then we go over to Colossians 3.1, which says that the new man has been raised up, has been resurrected with Christ Jesus. And so what happens is we haven't, as it says in Romans, we haven't considered the old man to be dead. And because we don't consider him to be dead, we give him life. We, not God, not the devil, we continue to breathe life into him so that he has a voice where he doesn't deserve to have a voice, he shouldn't have a voice. Because I've helped Aaron once in a while at the funeral home. And those dead bodies don't have a voice. They don't mouth off at you. They don't complain because you, you, know, you, you, you didn't pick them up right. They have no voice. You've got to see that your old man has no voice. Because you've been resurrected to newness of life through Christ Jesus. Going on into the third verse. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ 
in God. You. Now this is talking about your old man. The old you. Before you had Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, your old man, is dead. Let's look at the literal. For you are dead. Um, Aristans just says you're dead. Uh, and your life, Zoe, is hid. Perfect medium, medium has been hid with, together with Christ in God. Do you know how we're supposed to see ourselves? We see ourselves in Christ. You're not even, you're not even supposed to see you because you're hidden. You know, it, kids are funny. You know, our grandkids are there and uh, they want to play hide and seek in the house, in the family room. Where we're all sitting. You know, and so you have to take blankets and put it over them or let them crawl behind you. And, you know, they're, they're basically trying to be hidden in you. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to keep everybody else, the one that's it, from seeing them. We're to be hidden in Christ. You know what that means? That means... People aren't supposed to see you. They're to see Christ. We always say Christ in you, the hope of glory. But they're supposed to see you in Christ, in God. And so when they look upon you, they ought to see the attributes, the characteristics of Christ. And that's what I believe that this is all talking about. For you were, for your, for you died. You know when sin tries to rise up in your flesh? What we need to say is no. You're dead. Lay down. Take a hike. Because you have no authority. You have no voice in my life because you're dead. And so, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ uh, in God. Going on into the fourth verse. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, now this is talking about, remember, you know, I, I said, <clears throat> you know, I, I love end time teachings, but how does it apply to our everyday life? This is where it applies to our everyday life. Because it says that when Christ, who is our life, appears. So if we're in Christ, when Christ appears, then you also will appear with him. Now, this isn't talking about, I don't believe uh, that this is necessarily talking about the rapture. This is talking about his, seven, his, his return, his second the second coming, it says, we're going to be in him. We're going to be with him. And so what that means is that if we're going to appear with him, we've already got to be in him. And so we're not just going to be simply positionally in him. We're going to be experientially in him. 
And you're all looking at me at, like a cat. You know, a cow in a new gate. You don't know whether to go through it or not. Go through it. Because what this is talking about is we are going to, if Jesus tarries, we're going to be raptured. If, uh, if we died, we're going to be, die, we're going to be caught up and we're going to be with him in the air and we're going to meet him in the air. We'll be with him. And if we're alive uh, when, at the time of the rapture, we're going to join him and uh, not have to die and so forth. But when he comes back, we're going to be in him. We're going to be with him. Because we are one with Christ Jesus. The literal, there it says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Or having appeared. Then shall ye also appear. It, it, that, and it's talking about in the future. That we will manifest with him. With him in glory. And so it's not going to be here. It's going to be in the glory. We're going, to, we're going to appear. We're going to manifest with him. So it's talking about that we're going to be raptured with him. And when Jesus returns, uh, we're going to be in him. Um, in your notes, I put a whole lot of stuff that you can study there for yourself. Uh, you know, we're going to be raptured. We're going to be with Jesus in heaven. Uh, we're going to experience the, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb with Him. Uh, you know, uh, th there's just, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to uh, be taken out so that we don't have to uh, in, endure the tribulation, tribulation because we're going to be in his presence because tribulation rep represents uh, judgment that's going to be uh, coming upon the earth and we've already been judged. You've already been judged. The moment that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were judged and you were declared innocent. Aren't you glad? That's something to be excited about. We don't have to fear judgment because we've already been judged and we've been declared innocent. And so we'll be in his presence for now and throughout all of eternity. And so I'd just encourage you to, to read through some of those notes. I, I give you the scripture passages that you can look up and, and read for yourself where it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb and so forth and recognize where that occurs. It occurs after uh, the rapture of the church. And so uh, we're going to be in his presence. And so let me just read that again, the, the fourth verse. When Christ uh, is our life appears. When Christ, who is our life, appears. I'm not sure we're convinced of that. I'm not sure he, we're convinced that he is our life, that he is our breath, that if it were not for him, uh, my life would be uh, worthless because my life would basically be a, an example and a demonstration of, of what death produces. But with, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so we will be with him in glory. And then we go on into the fifth verse. And this next section is titled Objective of Living the Christian Life. And this um, goes all the way to the end of the chapter. And of course, we'll, we'll spend most of our time in this section next week. But... Uh, 
Um, but God has given us the power and the authority to put off the works of the flesh. And I know I, it, 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 it probably appears that I'm repeating myself. And the reason that I am is because that's the emphasis of this portion of Scripture, is that we have overcome the flesh through Jesus. The flesh wants to dominate us. The flesh wants to rule us. The flesh wants to keep us from walking in harmony and in, in union with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. Um, the flesh will do everything it can to keep us from that. And the only way that we can combat that is by, once again, by the renewing of the mind through the knowledge of the Word of God. There, there, there's no other way. Um, you, can, you can put your Bible under your pillow and sleep on it. You won't do it. Thank God for good music that incorporates Scripture. It won't do it. Because you've got to have the, the, the reality of the Word of God, the truth of the Word, the knowledge of the Word in your hearts. Because that's where our, our, vic our victory comes from. Because there has to be a there has to be a witness to it. And it's got to be a witness that's more than just merely an emotional thing. You know, music is wonderful and, and, and a lot of the arts are wonderful because it touches our emotions and we are an emotional being. Amen? But it, it's got it's to be deeper than emotion because emotion lasts until the emotion passes. But when we have a knowledge of the Word of God, and that gets deep into our inner recesses of our being, it doesn't leave us because circumstances change, because our feelings, our emotions change. <clears throat> you know, I can, I don't really want to say depressed because I don't, I don't think I get depressed, but I get down. And, uh, I know it's probably hard for you to believe because I'm just always so uppity, aren't I? You know, you know, but I but I do because things can things can bother you. And and as some of you know, I, I, I can be an emotional person. You know, I'm home at lunch today and Pastor Becky's watching a rerun of Dr. Phil and you know, I, I, I have not seen eighty percent of the program. And they bring these two teenage girls out that get to see their grandfather that they hadn't seen for three years. And there's this restoration. And I'm, I'm sitting there crying, I'm, I'm crying like a baby. My emotions just immediately, you know. And, 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 and so I'm, I'm, I'm an emotional critter, I'll, I'll admit it. But I, I, I can't live off of those emotions. And so if I'm, I'm down because something has happened you know, it's, it's my emotions that are taking me there. So how do I combat that? I, I can't combat it with my emotions because my, my emotions are in a tank. How do I do that? I, I do it with that which is dependable. The Word of God. And you begin to declare what the Word of God says about that circumstance, about that situation. That doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter how it appears. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. What matters is what does the Word of God say. 
And so then my life isn't going to be dictated by my emotions. My life is going to be dictated by what's in my spirit man, which is drawn through the Word of God. And so then I can walk in that victory that belongs to me. Verse 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And so what he's saying is, what he's about to talk about, he's talking about this isn't, this isn't you. This is, this is your members. And what he's saying is that in the flesh, these are the things that are going to manifest. These are the things that are going to come to the forefront. And he says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanliness, uh, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And this word put to death here, it means, it, it, it's, the, it's the word mortify. And so, you know, much of what he's talking about here, and you can read them because they're in, in your notes. I just don't want to spend the time reading through it all right now. But he's talking about um, basically sexual vices, sexual issues. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how, I don't know how else to say it other than just to say it, how sex dominates our culture. I mean, you turn TV on and you watch a commercial and you see more skin than we used to be able to see in the theater. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just absolutely unbelievable. You watch a commercial and really you think somebody's trying to sell their body but the end of it, you've realized they're trying to sell a Ford. But, it, but it's all evolved around that. They have liquor commercials. You know, and, and all the women in those commercials, what are, they, what are they trying to say? They're saying, you drink our liquor and look who's going to come chasing after you. I tried it. it doesn't, no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> no. so, uh, you can cut that. I, I did not try it. You know, but, uh, <clears throat> well, maybe B.C. You know, but that was just out of flat out stupidity. B.C. before Christ, in case any of you didn't know. I did have a time before Christ, okay? You know, and so, uh, but what he's saying here is we're to mortify, put to death these members, those desires. And the thing about it is, is if you, if you go back into the Greek, what you realize is it's, it's a command. He's speaking to us as believers, and he's commanding us to put these activities of the flesh to death. Now, it's interesting about this is some people, you know, have taken scriptures like this and they've taken it to the extreme. And, you know, the only time, you know, you're supposed to have sex is when you're, you're, you're going to make a baby and have a baby. 
It's the only time you're supposed to do it. Otherwise, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's not saying that. You know, because we see on the other side, you know, where, where Paul, you know, you know, back in the earlier verses, Paul confronted the fact that there were those that were going around that were saying all sex is bad. And, and, and Paul says, no, not within the confines of marriage. It's, 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 it's proper. It's good. It's, it's to be. And so here, but he's doing, he's, he's saying, but this stuff, and it's, it, and it's a command. You know, and we, we, we look at it in the surface and, you know, I, I mean, as a, as a conservative Christian, we get attacked because of positions that we've taken on certain things. And he's, he's not speaking to it from the standpoint that we're to condemn everybody. But he's speaking to us as individuals. He's saying, take care of your own life. Goes back to what I preached on Sunday. You know, basically, get the log out of your own eye and then maybe you can help somebody get the speck out of their, out of their eye. But you know what? We're not going to do anything with the specks until we get the logs out of our eyes. You know, this isn't something for the church to be proud of, but isn't it an interesting thing that some of our spiritual leaders that had the biggest falls, had the biggest falls in the areas of the things that they preached the hardest at, condemned the most. And, and the problem was, is I, I think sometimes you, uh, because of the conviction in your life, as a preacher, you come against something really hard, you know, even though you haven't, you haven't gained the victory of it in your own life. But what Jesus tells us, take care of the issue in your life. And then you can assist somebody. You can be part of somebody being set free in those areas of their life. You know, right now, the, you know, the, the area that, is, is attacked all the time is, is homosexuality and so forth. And you know what? It's an abomination. But let me tell you something else. So is fornication. And fornication isn't just simply sex outside of marriage. Fornication is pornography. Fornication is any uh, lascivious thoughts that are uh, rooted upon a lust for a uh, another individual, all of that. He says, get that out of your life. And so what he's telling us in this portion of scripture, he's talking to, yes, he's talking to the church and of uh, the Colossians, but he's talking to you and me as individuals. And he's saying, deal with the, deal with the stuff in your life. And that's what he is speaking to them. He was speaking to them corporately, but he's also speaking to them individually. You know, this is the thing about the scripture. At a certain point in time, we've got to narrow it down where it isn't just talking corporately to the, to the church at large or to Abundant Life Ministry or to our prayer group. It's talking to me. And so I've got to apply it in my life. I've got to examine myself and follow his leading. And he says it's a, it says it's a command. It's just so hard, I'm going to read it again. Therefore, put to death or mortify your members. Your members, those things with... He, by members, he's not talking about the other members in the church. 
You know, because usually when we hear a message like this, we look across the room and think, boy, I sure hope they're hearing this. <laughs> Don't shut me down now just because I'm preaching good. You know that I'm right. You know, no, he, he's talking about examining our members, me. And so, therefore, put to death your members, mortify your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon um, these of those of disobedience. Now, what this is really saying, and, and it's in your translation in years, uh, in your notes, sons of disobedience. Now, you don't identify with that. We may be disobedient in some areas, but we are not sons, and that, that sons there is, does not have a gender. God has male sons and he has female sons. And so when you see in scripture where it's, it's talking about sonship, in sons, you don't have to feel that uh, God is exclusive and he's a chauvinist. Because if you go back into the Greek and you look at it, um, it's, what would be the word, neuter? <laughs> no, no gender. It's male and females. And so he has, he's talking here of his male and his female sons. And, and so you are not a son of disobedience. And like I said, you may be, we may be disobedient at times, but we're not sons of disobedience. If we're, if we're born again, we are obedient sons of God that mess up periodically. But we are sons of God, so we're not under this judgment. This judgment isn't talking about you and me. What we're to do, we're to judge ourselves. You know, when I'm, when I'm doing my foundational teaching, you know, and I use Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 for this, and, and in Hebrews 1, 6, and 2, 6, 1 and 2, it, it talks about the six elementary principles or doctrines of Christ, and it's repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instructions on washings, laying on of hands, um, eternal judgment, um, what did I forget? Eternal judgment is the last one. Um, blah, 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 and eternal judgment. And, and, uh, but, but eternal judgment, in my teaching I talk about the fact that judgment goes contrary to the nature of God. Because the nature of God is, is love. So God, God never wanted to judge, even in the Old Covenant. God never, never wanted to judge. If you, if you study the judgments of the Old Covenant, what you begin to find out is it was God's mercy. It was his love. Take the, the flood, for example. Everybody looks upon that as the, the ultimate judgment. But you know, just prior to the flood, it says, but for the knowledge of but, but for Noah and his household, but for Noah and his household, the knowledge of God was lost from the earth. And so what that tells us, if God would have waited another generation, the knowledge of God would have been lost from the, the face of the earth, and there would have been no avenue of salvation. There would have been no avenue for a Savior to come through. 
and we would have been eternally lost, every man, woman, and child that ever walked on the face of the earth because God didn't have another plan. He didn't have a backup plan. His plan was the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so actually what we interpret there as judgment was the love of God that was manifested in the earth. Well, it was, it was against the nature of God. And so we look at the fact that God took judgment and he passed it to the Son. And it was contrary to the nature of the Son because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. And, and, and Jesus, while we were yet sinners, gave his life for us. That was, he is love. And so what he did, which is still him, but what he did was he passed it on to the Word. And so now what we're to do is we're to judge ourselves. And we're to judge ourselves according to the Word of God. And once again, that's why the scripture is so important. You know, one of the, one of the most helpful passages I ever found was the one that when the apostle said, and this is the American Standard Version of it, he says, I considered a very small thing to be judged by you. And in fact, I don't even judge myself. Most of us, we think it's a very big thing to be judged by somebody else. But Paul said, I consider it to be a very small thing to be judged by you. You know why? Because he knew that the ultimate judgment was from God. And that he doesn't even judge himself because he judges according to the Word of God. It's the Word that judges us. And isn't it interesting, that which judges us, changes us. Just a thought. So anyway, what did I just read? Did I read verse 6? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon um, uh, these of disobedience. Verse 7. Of which, now this is important, of which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. And so all of this stuff, we once walked in it when we lived in them. But we don't live in them any longer. Do you know why? We died. And so all of these works of the flesh, you're dead to it. You say, well, Pastor, I still struggle in this area. Well, then renew your mind because you're dead to it. It has no power over you. Begin to pursue those things which are above. Begin to have an affection for those things which are above where Christ is in God, where you are always also seated in heavenly places far above principality and power. And anything the enemy would ever try to throw against you, you're above it. And so when something like this comes against you and gets you, tries to get you to wallow in it, you just look at it and you think, nah, I'm above that. Amen. We always think we're below it. We're in it. No, we're above it because we're in Christ Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. You're dead to sin. You're dead to the flesh. But you're alive to Christ Jesus. Now, th this is the key. 
Focus on the life. Pursue those things which are above. If you've got things in the flesh that seem to still be kicking, you pursue those things which are above in the stuff of the flesh. It'll, it'll lose its wiggle real quick. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, by the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, we seal it right now in Jesus' name. And we declare that we're above and not beneath. We're the head and not the tail. Father, we're blessed when we go out and we're blessed when we come in. We're blessed in everything that we put our hands to do. But it's because of Jesus, the one whom we're hid in, who leads us and directs us. And so we give him the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.